Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. I remember when New York City first announced the full pandemic shutdown. Businesses and schools were closed. Everyone was to stay home. But because I'm a news anchor and reporter, I still went into work every day. And riding the subway in those days was weird, to say the least. Standing on a subway platform waiting for your train, you'd see one or maybe two other people way down at the far end of the platform, keeping their distance. You'd have entire subway cars to yourself in the middle of the day or early evening. It was jarring. And that's because ridership on the New York City subway pre-pandemic was nearly 5 million a day. During the shutdown, it fell to 300,000, just a fraction of what it had been. But I couldn't help but notice Even with most of the city staying home, 300,000 people still had to rely on that mass transit to get themselves to work and back home every day. For some, getting on a bus or train is merely a choice, a last means to get to a sporting event without having to find parking or to take a sporadic adventure. But for many, it's an unavoidable day-to-day reality the driving vehicle for their commute to work in order to pay bills, take care of their families. Here in New York City, for example, more than half of the residents use public transportation to get around. New York is an island in and of itself. Their numbers are pretty high when it comes to use of public transportation. So what would they do if it wasn't an option anymore? Public transportation is expensive to build, costly to maintain, And the people who need it most often can't afford to support those costs. In fact, current fares only cover a portion of what it takes to maintain many public transit systems. During the pandemic, those same riders were some of the only people keeping public transportation afloat. Now it looks like pandemic-related fears, as well as changes in transportation habits, may have doomed the fate of public transit altogether. Numbers are very alarming. If these trends hold up, uh, there may not be a viable future for public transportation as we know it. But there is hope that it may rebound. In this episode of Connect the Dots, we'll hear from two public transit experts, one studying ridership in the Chicago area, the other well-versed in the less developed transit system of Los Angeles. 
I'm Linda Lopez, and this is Connect the Dots from Odyssey. Just west of the Chicago Loop, off the UIC Halstead Blue Line stop, is University of Illinois, Chicago. Doors closing. That's where Dr. P.S. Sriraj serves as director of the Urban Transportation Center in the College of Urban Planning and Public Affairs. Sriraj worries if the trains of the Chicago Transit Authority, or CTA, could possibly even keep rolling, even in the second largest public transportation system in the country. Ridership in public transportation has been declining ever so slightly since 2014, even before the pandemic. So the pandemic just accelerated and bottomed it out. Uh, So this was going to happen in probably 10 years' time. The current situation would have been evidenced in 10 years from now if the pandemic had not happened. Sriraj also serves as the director of the Metropolitan Transportation Support Initiative, which provides grants that fund current and emerging urban transportation research to keep trains running. I sat down with Dr. Sriraj to learn about why public transportation in the U.S. is in such a state of peril and where hope lies in the future for those who still rely on it. Let's start first with how many Americans actually used public transportation. What percentage of Americans are we talking about? So uh, if we take all of the trips that are being made on a daily basis, as you can imagine, automobile is the predominant majority of uh, all trips as far as a mode choice is concerned. And that number is anywhere between 80 to 87%, 88%, depending upon the location you are looking at. Uh, The remaining is split between public transportation, walking, biking, other work from home, the works. Uh, So public transportation typically ranges between 12 to uh, 16%. And that also is typically for the work trips, the morning, evening work trips, the commuting trips. Uh, For other trip types, use of public transportation is limited much less than what you're uh, seeing with the commuting trips. I know it varies from city to city. And I know here in New York City, since the pandemic started, there's been such a drop-off in public transit ridership. And it's been, uh, especially early in the pandemic, mainly essential workers, healthcare workers who were using it. So I was wondering how has the pandemic highlighted the inequalities between the Americans who use public transit and don't? Well, that's a very complex question because the reasons for people not using transit are very mixed. Um, As you very rightly pointed out, the essential workers continue to depend on public transportation, not just in New York City, but also in many other metropolitan areas around the country. Um, One of the best things that happened to public transportation during this pandemic if at all you're looking for a silver lining, is that they continue to operate almost the same levels of service that they would have operated during any normal year. And that was made possible with the federal government coming in and bailing them out for the revenues lost. And so it was um, much better for the essential workers, but the rest of the population, it was a confluence of various factors. One is the obvious, which is the fear of being in public spaces during the pandemic. So the fear of how you may catch the virus while in transit 
was a predominant majority of the reasons for why people did not use public transportation. People found comfort in um, using their personal automobile if they had to make a trip. The other is the employers. Many employers decided to give the employees uh, and in many cases forcefully told their employees to stay home and work from home where possible. And those two combined uh, allowed for uh, the transit base shifting away from transit. You were mentioning um, how dire is looking for some transit systems around the country. What are some of the problems that transit agencies across the country have had to deal with during the pandemic, but also pre-pandemic? Where do we start? How much time do you have? Um, so public transportation, and um, this is very unique to the United States. Uh, public transportation has always been looked upon as an inferior good. And I say that knowing fully well what that means in the sense that the general population has tended to look at public transportation as an option for those that do not have any other option. And that perception has in turn become reality over the years. And then um, in the form of uh, levels of funding not commensurate with what the needs may be to upgrade the existing infrastructure, um, innovation uh, not necessarily seeping into the industry as you would think in this day and age might happen. So there's a variety of things that have happened over the decades. And the most important thing is that the infrastructure. So public transportation uses a term that is called the state of good repair. And state of good repair essentially means that you are displaying everything that is commensurate with your age. And the public transportation industry, the infrastructure in the public transportation industry has a backlog with respect to the state of good repair needs. Meaning if they're a hundred year old system, they're already depicting the characteristics of a 125, 150 year old system. That is mainly because the funding has not been there consistently to upgrade the infrastructure. So that's one. Public transportation also is bifurcated in its funding into two parts, one for capital, the other one for operating. And the capital dollars are few and far between. I've already outlined that. The operating costs are not necessarily recouped in its entirety from the fair paying public. In a, in a very robust quote unquote good system in the US, if it gets 50 cents to the dollar from the fair paying customer for covering the operating cost, it is considered as huge success. Now you have the really dire need on the capital side. You also have the need to plug the hole on the operating cost. Put those two together, it's a very unenviable situation. Well, President Biden has announced his new infrastructure bill. It actually uh, earmarks $39 billion to modernize transit and also to improve accessibility for elderly people, people with disabilities. Um, is, is this along the right track when you talk about these funding shortfalls or is it? Is yeah, it not? any attention public transportation can get is welcome. Uh, the reason I say that, you said $39 billion, correct? Yes. And you agree that it's a huge amount? 
it's, it seems like a huge amount of money, yes. Okay, and now I'll bring you back to the situation in the Chicago system. I, I mentioned about the state of good repair needs. For just the Chicago transit agencies, the state of good repair backlog and the annual maintenance that is needed over the next 10 years, put those two together, the number is $38 billion as of three years ago. And now today that number has grown up even more. So tells you a little bit about what the needs may be when you put all of the systems around the country together and what is being proposed as funding. I'm not doubting, I'm not besmirching the effort that it has taken for President Biden to pass this or put this into language. It's a step in the right direction. But if public transportation has to have a future, a viable future in urban cores, then you need to have more funding, more innovation to make itself a, a viable competitor, viable alternative to the automobile. When we talk about all that funding or that funding coming in, um, and we look at the inequities, we were talking about the poor or underserved communities, but also if we're talking about people with disabilities, the elderly, can these funds that are being earmarked now go away toward helping some of those issues? They can, but it is, it's a piecemeal solution in my opinion. The, the thought is to be applauded. The actions are to be applauded. But I would always question if it is actually meeting the needs, the larger needs of the entire industry. I would never take money away from initiatives that are going to improve equity, much needed. The present context and situation notwithstanding, even otherwise. But that cannot be just the one thing that you will do. There needs to be a champion for public transportation. There needs to be a collective mindset that will say, okay, we are going to get this thing right. And we are going to get this done in a manner that will sustain itself over the long-term future. How are rideshare companies like Uber and Lyft, how are they changing the landscape for public transit? Or are they? They are. They are, especially in specific pockets. Um, what I mean by that, in the central city, most trips in large urban areas in the central city, most trips are less than three miles long. And where people would have easily gotten into a bus or a train to get that trip taken care of, now they have an app, they have a click of a button that will get you a car that will come and pick you up and deposit you where you need to be within five minutes of waiting time. Now, as users of public transportation, we all can attest to the fact that that is one of the main issues with public transportation, reliability. And you cannot necessarily guarantee that the bus or train will arrive exactly at the time it is indicated to arrive. So for my last question, are there any cities that are getting it right when it comes to public transit? You're in Chicago, I'm in New York City. We might be cynics when it comes to that question, but are there any cities that are getting it right? Not in the US. At least um, that's a very broad 
brush statement, right? I mean, there may be pockets of isolated best case practices, best practices that might be out there. But as a system, uh, I would be very hard pressed to concede that one system is much better than another one. And so there, there needs to be a complete collective change in the way people look at public transportation, not just the users. And then it starts with the users, but it also uh, becomes the responsibility of decision makers, transit managers, government, funding agencies, the works. But there are ways that rideshare companies and public transit systems can work together. That was a good wake-up call. So what can we do? I, I know of transit systems around the country that have entered into partnership with rideshare companies to operate service in areas where they feel it is not worth their while. That's a good thing. Just accepting your limitations, right? And then you're saying, okay, here, you guys go take care of this. We can take care of the rest of the urban core. Uh, more of that mindset needs to percolate into the industry. As Dr. Sriraj said, the future of public transit in the U.S. may look different than we're used to. Let's travel now from Chicago to across the country. Juan Matute is deputy director of the UCLA Institute of Transportation Studies. He researches innovations in public transit, mobility services, and more. We asked him what he would like to see in the future. Something that's a trend in other cities is that uh, a diversity of mobility options is helping serve those who want to get around or need to get around without uh, a personal vehicle. Unlike other major cities in the country, Los Angeles doesn't have a longstanding public transit system. The urban sprawl and long, drawn-out freeways attracts a car-heavy commute, and many Angelinos don't even use public transit on a daily basis. The people who do end up using public transportation before, during, and after the pandemic end up being in low-income and working-class families who don't have the resources to purchase multiple vehicles. Those using transit, there are a great number of people who use transit in Los Angeles. They tend to be much lower income than cities like San Francisco and Washington, D.C., and even New York, um, where there's more white-collar commuting. Um, because of that, Los Angeles saw the highest ridership relative to pre-pandemic peaks. According to a ridership survey from the Los Angeles Metro Rail taken in 2018, more than 80 percent of riders were Black or Latinx and lived in households that made less than $25,000 annually. That's a demographic that's categorized as living in poverty. In June of last year, the Los Angeles Metro shut down the entire system because of the Black Lives Matter protests sweeping through downtown L.A., even further impacting everyday commuters in the city. Residents were left with no way to get home in the middle of a pandemic and ongoing protests. Matute would like to see a platform where people could access many forms of transit in one place. This platform, he says, would make it as easy for public transit riders as it would for car owners to get around in Los Angeles and wouldn't be limited to a bus or a train. The introduction of uh, micro-mobility, so electric scooters and bike share, um, even transportation network companies uh, like Uber and Lyft provide additional options for people to get around. There is a strategy 
to put these all of these newer services and and, and older services, uh, shared mobility services, uh, onto a single platform so that somebody can discover and um, book trips that might include transit plus um, plus an e-scooter or or um, other mobility options that are uh, available. And that platform would be called Mobility as a Service, and it would make, uh, if there's the underlying services um, are, are good and robust and help people get where they need to go, it would make thinking about trip making with those services as easy as thinking about trip making with one's own vehicle. Now, as kids go back to school and the nation navigates continued reopenings, transit agencies are trying to lure riders back by lowering fares and creating a more inclusive schedule. Beginning this past spring, Boston added more frequent commuter trains outside of the traditional nine to five hours in order to transform the system into a more equitable one that also caters to the non-office worker. Los Angeles County could begin exploring free fare for the L.A. Metro for K-12 and community college students next year in a 23-month pilot program. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Area Transportation Authority has done away with fares altogether in March of 2020 and currently has no plans to reinstate them. But it's not just accessibility and ridership on the line. Some progressive Democrats in Washington are demanding more funding for mass transit to the tune of $30 billion to help battle climate change and get people out of their cars. 64 House and Senate Democrats last week penned an open letter to top officials in Washington, emphasizing the need for that money out of the impending $3.5 trillion budget resolution to public transportation agencies. In the letter, they say the focus on electric car adoption would not be enough to prevent future tragic climate disasters. This episode of Connect the Dots was written and produced by Lauren Barry, Sidney Fishman, and Dempsey Palat. It was executive produced and edited by Mallory Samara. Until next week, I'm your host, WCBS News Radio's Linda Lopez. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.